Well, good morning, everyone. It's really a privilege to be here, and thanks, Adam, for having me. Um, just a shout out to my friend Adam. I, I love our conversations that we've had over, over the years about this big faith that we have, this big gospel, and I know that that just is, is everything about who you are and your leadership here at this church, that we, we serve a, a big God, um, and, the, and the gospel is just big, and it's so much bigger than just how I feel. Um, it includes that, but it sends me out around the world, so I know that that's your heart for, for ministry and mission to everyone, um, and that's, that's a little bit of, of what I want to say this morning. So I thought, thanks to my friends upstairs who are going to be helping us guide through the PowerPoint here. I'll pick on through to the next slide, if that's all right. Um, this, is a, this, is, uh, this is a phrase in, in Te Reo Māori, which is the, the, the Māori language of, of the indigenous people of New Zealand. Um, when we introduce ourselves, sometimes we say ko, and then your name, and then toku ingoa. Um, so Dale is my name. And um, I've journeyed from Bolivar <laughs> to New Zealand. Um, sometimes I, I just wake up and I think, my goodness, I live in New Zealand. I've lived here for 17 years. I'm 43 years old, so when it gets to a certain age, I'll have been longer there than I have been here. So it's a bit strange, and it's really quite wonderful to be back here. I was born in Springfield, but I was raised in Bolivar, a bit like Jesus was born in Bethlehem, raised in Nazareth. Um, but um, but so, so it's quite special to be here in the city where I was born um, and be sharing with you. Um, so yeah, I'd, I'd like... I'd like to share with you some from my experience. You know, this is just how I've experienced the gospel. Some of the extremes that I've probably been to and I'm getting it wrong, trying to figure out what God is really about, what scripture actually uh, leads us and guides us and would teach us. Um, so I'm just sharing this morning from my own experience and from the scriptures. Uh, I think it's really important to be guided by the scriptures. Um, yeah, and, 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 and I want to be really clear that... Um, I'm really grateful for the songs that we've sung so far, and, uh, and the, everything that we're talking about this morning is within a framework of grace, a framework of God is this sovereign, loving being that we can never impress. We, we don't have to earn God's favor. That is the framework for everything this morning. Um, our, our, anything that we would say about how we should live in the world has to be within this, this big, generous, loving framework of a father who is just pretty amazingly in love with us. So that's the framework this morning. So um, I believe, the next slide please, um, I believe you've been talking about Peter? No, next week. Next week, you're, you're going to be talking about Peter and some of his letters. And so I was keen, you know, I, I didn't want to just drop a sermon that I preach all the time. I wanted to kind of fit into what you guys were doing in this community, so um, I, I'm a fan of Peter. Um, he knew Jesus, I think. Um, and so everything that he has to say about living in this world comes from knowing Jesus. Um, and so that's really cool. Um, and Peter got it wrong, massively, denying Jesus. He still had hangups around Gentiles. Um, even after the ascension, um, he had, had some learning to do. So uh, I relate to Peter because Peter got it wrong and I've gotten it wrong. Um, I still get it wrong. Um, but yeah, I thought it would be really good, good to uh, kind of immerse in, in what you're beginning to think about. And I, I, I just chose this passage, and I'll, I'll read it out loud. It's from, so verse, starting verse 11. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles, 
Interestingly, Noah has those at the center with all the power, but it's as foreigners and exiles. To abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority, or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God and honor the emperor. I'd like to open with a quick prayer. Father, would you, would you speak to all of us this morning, myself included, and if there's anything that I would share this morning that would be of my own ego, my insecurities, my fears, my errors, would, would that be quickly forgotten? But Lord, if there would be something that would glorify you and edify these wonderful people gathered here and encourage them um, in the spirit of Jesus Christ, that, may that be remembered. And so thank you for your scriptures that instruct us. Be with us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Right, so I believe, next slide, um, that this passage gives us three levels of teaching. So I want to explore those levels with you. And those levels are, on the next slide, the, the ethical level, the political level, and the social level. And it's really important, you know, I, when I distinguish between these three levels, I'm not saying that they don't have anything to do with one another, but I'm saying that it's important to distinguish between them. Okay, I hope that'll make sense. So firstly, I want to talk about the ethical conviction that this passage suggests. And just look at some of the terms there that I've highlighted. Abstain from sinful desires. And later on it talks about God's will. So we have a distinction between what God desires and sinful desires. Okay? Live as God's slaves. Not a slave to our own desires, but a slave of God. Many of you that are familiar with Paul, the Apostle Paul. Paul agrees with Peter. Paul uses this language in his letters. Fear God. And I think, for me, like this reminds me that Christianity is always going to have an ethical framework that is different from the world. Have you noticed this? <laughs> Sometimes people in the world are about certain ethical trajectories that don't align with Scripture. It can be really, really, really uncomfortable to live as a Christian in a world that is getting further and further away from biblical ethics. I think you know what I'm talking about. In New Zealand, we're probably even further along that trajectory than the States might be. Um, and so I think this is for me, this, this is this ethical basic level. Don't do what is evil, what is sinful. Live according to God's desire. So I have a, few, a, bit of a, a bit of an illustration around this. So my own story, I was raised in a, in a heretical Christian movement um, called Armstrongism. I don't mind naming that. And I, I can't tell you everything about that movement or we'd be here all morning and all afternoon and into the evening. 
But it was, it was a heretical, we, we denied the Trinity, we denied the deity of Christ, we, we thought keeping Christmas was, was, was just totally wrong to celebrate the birth of Christ, and we didn't eat unclean meats, and we, we kept kosher laws of the Old Testament and the Old Testament holy days, and we thought we were the only true Christians. And importantly, we had a lot of rules. Lots of rules about how, how long women's skirts needed to be, how much makeup they could wear. A lot of rules for women, interestingly. Not a lot of rules for the guys, um, but a lot of rules. And I think this was, the, this was the religious air that I breathed growing up. You know, we had just all these rules. And, and as, I, as I came to faith, eventually, I, I spent some time away from church life. I studied at State Fair Community College in Sedalia. Um, got a building materials merchandising degree. I worked for Meeks Lumber Company, some, some familiar names for y'all. Um, and, uh, and I was doing that, and I was, I was away from church life. And then I, you know, my, my old friend Ben Kilgore, a mutual friend of Adam, he reached out to me, and we started playing some, we would go to the driving range, we'd hang out, um, eat a lot of food, uh, play video games, play basketball, and just, I, I just gradually, it was just friendship evangelism. Um, in the best sense of that word. It was real friendship and it was genuine evangelism at the same time. And I, I found my way to First Baptist Church. I got some friends from First Baptist and Finley Crossings here with me as well. Um, but yeah, I came to faith in 1999 and, um, and it was just like literally the first time that I'd heard this simple gospel of God's great love and the sacrificial death of Jesus on the cross. It was just so clear. It wasn't about keeping the Sabbath and all the rules. It was about the gospel. And was it perfect? Is any church perfect? Is any denomination perfect? Of course not. But I was in. That was 1999. You know, and I have to say, and as, as I, I'm a big fan of theology and study and thinking, but as I, as I moved to New Zealand, um, I got involved in studying theology and I started to, to debate with atheists and started to really get into intellectual forms of Christianity and thought, right? And can I just say that I think it's really important. I, I feel like I swung from one extreme to the other. I, it used to be about unthinking submission, just keep the rules. That's what, I, that's what I grew up with. Don't think about it, keep the rules, submit. This is the way it is. And then I probably swung to another extreme where I became the authority. I, I became disconnected from a framework that I needed to actually benefit from and be resourced by. Um, and my intellectual curiosity, my independence from tradition kind of isolated me from, you know, I, and I can tell you that's not a great framework to, to live within. Um, and it doesn't form you to, to submit to God's teaching and to live a holy life. It doesn't, it, doesn't, it doesn't really help. When your brain gets disconnected from your heart, it's not healthy. And so next slide, I have come to see that is so important to be formed by this great tradition, this big gospel. And the gospel, as one missiologist has said, is, is infinitely translatable from culture to culture, to time to time, place to place. And all, all the denominations and different churches throughout their history, they try to get, get at it, they try. But, but there's this big, big, generous, beautiful story that we, that we sit within as Christians of a creator God that made the whole world and that despite our sin and rebellion loves us anyway and came in the person of Christ 
lived a perfect life and taught us these kingdom ways of blessing, loving our neighbors, ourselves. Um, and wants to make us new so that we can be channels of renewal in the world around us and around the world. And that one day we'll come again to renew all things and bring a new heaven and a new earth. Second Peter, Peter says, a new heaven and a new earth where justice dwells, where righteousness or justice dwells, where everything is right. Everything's right with God, with neighbor, with myself, and even the creation will be set free, as Paul says in Romans 8. It is a big, beautiful gospel. And it's just so important. If I want, at the ethical level, I, I, need to, I need to be a part of that. I need to be being renewed and changed and transformed and living as a slave of God. Not trying to solve all the intellectual problems in the world and getting separated from my, my own emotional life. But I need, I, need, I need to live as God's slave. I need to abstain from sinful desires. I need to keep it simple, Dale. Don't try to solve all the problems in the world. Just sort yourself out first, maybe. So that's something of the, of the ethical level. We'll move on to the next one. At the political level, I just find this fascinating. <laughs> Again, he uses this language of foreigners and exiles. I'm going to suggest that, that Peter's saying that we need to have a posture of cooperation <clears throat> at the political level, as much as possible. He says, live such good lives among the pagans. He's not saying take over the throne of Caesar. And he's not saying go and be separate and live separate from him. Be, be among them. That's the most difficult place to be. Among the pagans. Because we can actually bless them when you're among them. You can actually be a part of kingdom missional transformation when you're among. It's not a takeover. It's not taking back power. The church doesn't need power. Except the power of the Holy Spirit. The church doesn't need political power. Never has needed it. The church has thrived and struggled and survived in so many different political climates. Ours just happens to be the way things are right now in the United States. It'll change in a hundred years or so. The church will still be around. We don't need power. And we don't need to escape and be safe and comfortable somewhere else. We need to be among the, the people. That's, that's really, really striking to me. And submit yourselves to the Lord's sake to every human authority. I mean, look at the, look at the titles he uses here. The emperor. I mean, this would be like... I mean, I'm going to use the terms Republican-Democrat here, okay? To say to a Republican, honor Biden. To say to a Democrat, honor Trump. As much as you can, live among the pagans peacefully. They're not God. They're human beings. Human authority, it says. <laughs> okay? We don't give our allegiance to either one, not our ultimate one, but we try to live respectfully in the world as much as possible. We try to cooperate at this political level. We're not affiliated with any political party. The kingdom is too big to fit. I just find this really good teaching, whatever level, okay? God is God, and these humans have a limited role in God's economy. Honor the emperor. I mean, that would be really, if you were the sort of person that, that in the first century that was really angry about the Roman Empire and you were told by Peter to honor the emperor, that'd be frustrating. 
But maybe we need to allow ourselves to be frustrated a little bit and respect people that we don't want to respect. It's challenging. Next. At this level, just to illustrate, I mean, I just find it, I mean, having lived here and having lived in New Zealand, we have a different political framework. We do still have left and right, broadly speaking, we have labor and national. But we actually have, uh, one thing that I find interesting, in New Zealand we have two major parties and then we have minor, a lot of minor parties that, that uh, participate in the, in the process. And that, it, it often happens that one party won't gain enough of the vote to rule on their own. So like a major party will have to string along and form a coalition with other minor parties to, rule, to, to govern. And that, I think, takes us a little bit away from a, this hard binary of either this or that. I'm not saying it's better, I'm just saying it's different. Um, and, and living in that difference for about 17 years, and you, you know, most of you, that are, some of you that are students of history will know that there's, there's so many different forms of government, even democratic government. And we, we do the best we can, you know, to, to, to submit to human authorities. But we often have this predictable um, division. And as Christians, we have, to, we have to take care that we are not being partisan and being extreme, that we don't try to align ourselves unconsciously with one party or the other. Now, I, I, not much needs to be said on this, I think, because we know that Jesus is too big for any party or any politician. Every single politician or president or senator or representative is a sinner loved by God, but still not perfect. And, and we'll get some things right and some things not right. And so the kingdom is bigger. These are things that Peter would remind us of. And I think by contrast, you have a kingdom that just, again, like I said earlier, the church has existed and survived and even thrived in so many different contexts. You know, the empire knows many forms, or whether it's the Roman Empire or, 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 or the, or, or the you know, various, various governments that have ruled in, in various forms of tyranny, different contexts. The, the kingdom has still, we've still been able to serve God and love our neighbor and be transformed by the gospel in any context. That is subversive. We don't need political power to live for the kingdom. And as United States society, I, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what's going to happen in New Zealand in the next 50 or 100 years. I have no idea. Perhaps God will bring a revival and, and the, the, the country will just... There'll be a wave of Christian repentance. Wouldn't that be wonderful? People living great lives. I don't know what's going to happen. But if things get, if the country goes further and further away from the gospel, we'll survive. The church will still be around. We can still follow Christ. And perhaps sometimes even when it's, when it's hard, that's when we find the church gets purified the most. And meanwhile, the last thing I'll say here on this one Look at the church in Asia and Africa, where it's growing. As the church struggles in the UK, in the North America, in Australia, New Zealand, the church is growing in places like Asia and Africa. So the average Christian is no longer a 40-something male Anglican. It's a young black Pentecostal woman in Africa. The centers of power and demographics are changing. Okay. 
So we are not necessarily always going to be the center of everything. So kingdom is bigger than us. The third level is the level I, I would call social compassion. We are called to compassion. And look at these verses. Live good lives. Let people see your good deeds and then they can glory, glorify God. And if you do that, it's not that we go out looking for commendations. Did anyone see me pick up this trash over here? Did anyone see me help hand out this food? So we're not looking for that. But when we do it, people will commend us. People in government will appreciate that. They will notice that Christians are like this. In the first century, one of the historians said, my, how they love one another. They noticed, they didn't understand why they were caring for these children that were, these babies that were sometimes just left unwanted, exposed to the elements to die. Christians would take them in. They didn't understand why they did that, but they noticed. Commend those who do right. It's God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Show proper respect to everyone. Love one another. So we've talked about the, 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 the personal ethics level, the political level, and this is the public level. Christians should be known as people who are like this. Some illustration um, on, this, on this level. I want to start to talk a little bit about my work with Tear Fund and, and my, my work with the Justice Commons. Some of you recognize this picture because it's from a meme. Um, so you're saying, <laughs> Various people have played with this, um, this image. Um, th there's kind of a, what I'm calling as a token charity, which will be met with suspicion. People will see through. You know, I talked about friendship evangelism earlier, my friend Ben Kilgore. There's a, there's a token way to do friendship evangelism that is neither good evangelism and it's really not, it's, it's nor it's friendship either. Uh, it's, 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 like, it's like trying to pretend to be someone's friend so that they can become a Christian. When friendship is authentic and the sharing of the faith is authentic, then it's real. But when, both, when one's kind of transactional, can I, just, can I just pretend to be your friend so that you'll take a box? That's really bad evangelism. Um, and when it comes to charity or, or doing good, I think there's a token way to do it where we're just kind of ticking boxes, trying to do things. When it's token, people will see through it. But I want to suggest on the next slide, justice, kingdom justice. And I don't know about you, I don't know what the word justice does. Does that, you know, th there is a version of social justice that I think is, takes us away from biblical principles. Uh, there's a way of doing, there's a way of talking about and thinking about social justice that necessar isn't necessarily Christian. But I really do believe that God wants us in the Old and New Testaments to be people of righteousness and justice. It's making us right. Not just positionally in relation to God, but, but in our lifestyle as well. God wants to disciple us. Uh, becoming a Christian, being forgiven, that's all God's work. But when it comes to being transformed... And becoming a more righteous and just and good person, that takes my participation. God's not just going to snap his fingers and do that automatically. I have to participate with God. And so it's, it's a beautiful thing. I mean, I long for people to become Christians. I long for, the church, for churches to grow. And, and, and I, I really think this will happen if we live beautiful lives. If, if the churches and Christians are known for serving others, 
rather than trying to take power back and fight and disagree and argue and control. If we can be known for love in the name of God, I think that's a beautiful witness. And so I want to give a few examples, um, probably just two. Um, one from my work with Tear Fund. Um, the Tear Fund started in the UK, and the T-E-A-R is an acronym. So the Evangelical Alliance, that was a group of churches called the Evangelical Alliance. So they, they, they formed a relief fund. So the Evangelical Alliance Relief Fund. This was a group of Christians in the UK, saw various needs around the world. They thought, how can we help? Well, we can't travel over, we don't know how to meet these needs, so let's form a relief fund and let's channel these funds to partners, <clears throat> Christian partners, in the local areas and they can meet those needs. And it's actually a really good model for development, how to actually help people facing poverty. So one example of how that works is on the next slide. Um, this is a friend of mine named Ramesh Kumar Kadka from Nepal. Um, one of the causes that we have, so Tier Fund, we have four causes. We have child development. We sponsor children through Compassion International um, and face, help, help develop children into flourishing adults that can fully live out their lives. We have modern slavery. We have conflict and disasters and conflict, and we have farming and enterprise. Ramesh and his ministry in Nepal, he's in our modern slavery cause. Now Ramesh started out, that picture on the left is him as a young dentist. He was traveling around the mountains of Nepal caring for people's dental and oral health. And he soon realized that he was one guy. And he realized he couldn't meet all these, all these needs that he was encountering. And so he actually went down to India and took a development course and studied aid and development. And he came back with a whole different perspective and a whole different methodology. And he started a ministry that he calls Share and Care Nepal. And one of the things that they, that they do is they, they address one of the biggest problems in Nepal is trafficking, where people from China or India or other countries will come into Nepal and offer a family, we will pay you this much money, you give us your daughter, and we're going to take her away and give her a nice job at a restaurant, she's going to be serving food for people. And sadly, the story doesn't go that way. She ends up not serving food, but serving men her body. And, and sexual trafficking and slavery is just rife. And this deception and this trade is what can happen. And so Ramesh doesn't just work. I mean, you can address this kind of slavery in several ways. You can care for people after, you can try to take them out. But we actually try to work in prevention as well. The ambulance, uh, the, the, the fence at the top of the cliff rather than the ambulance at the bottom of the cliff. Let's, let's find out what's actually causing these problems and stop it there. And so some of the things that they can do to prevent this trafficking is help with income. Because so, if, you, if you have plenty of income, then the offer of cash is less lucrative. It's less appealing. You don't need that from the outside. And you learn to identify traffickers. And so Ramesh goes around Nepal and with his team, they run programs, community strengthening programs and income generation programs, and they take them through an anti-trafficking program where they learn to, to spot these lies. 
And communities that have run through his program, they've all achieved zero trafficking. It's incredibly fruitful, and it's all done in the name of Jesus. When I got to hang out with Ramesh uh, in, in Auckland, basically we were just a couple of preachers, just, just sharing scripture with one another over a cup of coffee. Um, he's such a lovely man. Um, I had to, got to have lunch with him, with my family as well. Um, this is what it means to, this is also quite a different model of development. It's not me traveling over to Nepal and trying to deal out solutions to their problems as someone from the States or from someone from New Zealand. It's actually partnering with local people to do the work in Jesus' name. Um, and th this is just one example. Um, it's quite clear that, that, that your church is invested in things like trying to help people find food. And we need to care for people around us in our own community. And we also can do that around the world through partnership like this. That's just one example. I'd like to share another example. Um, now this is something that I've probably engaged with mostly through this conference that I have a, part, a role with called the Justice Conference. Um, the Justice Conference is a global conference movement. Uh, it's in about 10 or 11 countries. Uh, we have one in New Zealand, and we gather Christians to talk about the justice issues of the day within a biblical framework. Okay? Some of you might have noticed how indigenous issues have, have, are really rising to the surface. People are really rightly concerned about the, the state and the history of our, our dealings with indigenous people. And in New Zealand, we have a, a bit of a unique story um, with this. Um, the indigenous people, the Maori people, um, were living there. And of course, before the missionaries got there, there were sailors and, and, and whalers and uh, people looking for flax. We have really strong flax that people can use to make some strong rope. We have these magnificent big kauri trees uh, with big straight trunks that people would use for their ship masts. And so people, people were mixing with that. And then finally the, the missionaries come over. And you know when the missionaries first came over in around 1814, um, the first preaching of the Gospels, the Reverend Samuel Marsden, he came over in 1814. When they first came over, the missionaries were a guest in that land. And they were seeking to learn the Maori language so that they could communicate with Maori. And that's an important posture that they had, the posture of a guest, of a servant. Were the missionaries perfect? No. But they had the posture of a guest. And in 1840, there was this magnificent document um, called the Treaty of Waitangi. Te o Waitangi. Um, 1840. And it, it, was, it was shaped by a Christian tradition. Who's heard of William Wilberforce? You maybe have maybe seen the movie Amazing Grace. He was a part of this sect called the Clapham sect. And this was an, an abolitionist movement um, that they were really concerned about the way that, that colonization had had a negative effect on indigenous peoples. And they wanted to get it right with New Zealand. And so a fellow named Sir James Stephen, who was a relative of William Wilberforce, um, he helped Captain Hobson shape this treaty for the, for the New Zealand people. The Christian faith is right in the middle of all this. It's incredible. Um, a lot of people, a lot of secular Kiwis, people from New Zealand, don't know the Christian influence on the treaty. They don't, understand, they don't, they don't know this history. They get taught a distorted version of history. But this treaty was written, and it, and it, I won't go into all the details. We'd be here for too long. 
But basically, it promised the Maori people that they would have full and undisturbed um, possession of their lands, their forests, and their fisheries. And if you wanted to, I mean, because it's all about land. Land is just so important. The Maori people don't believe that they own land. They said they, they believe they actually belong to the land. Um, yeah. So they, they were promised that they would be able to, if, if anyone wanted to buy land, they had to buy it from the crown, the government. They couldn't just buy it directly because that would be too, that process, if you were buying land directly from Maori chiefs or rangatira, you, that, that process would be perhaps unregulated and there could be some injustice and unfairness, some unfair prices. So lo and behold, you, you, you can guess what happened. As more and more Europeans came to New Zealand, the missionaries and the influence of the treaty became less and less and less. And the influence of the government and the, the New Zealand company. There was even a company from the UK called the New Zealand Company that basically their goal was to buy land cheap and sell it for a high price for, for European settlers. And so this picture here is a picture of the story of the treaty not being honored. Countless stories are represented by this graphic of land being bought cheap and sold expensively. And, and, and for a Maori person, you get disconnected. When a, when a Maori person introduces themselves, they say their name and then they say, where's their mountain? Like if you're on the east coast, this area, there's a mountain called Hikurangi, called Hikurangi Te Mauma. Mount Hikurangi is my mountain. That's what you would say if you live, if you're a Maori person from the East Coast. This is my river. This is the waka that we came to this country on, this canoe. You would, they're, they're just, it's a very embodied, land-centric way of looking at the world. And to be kicked off your land, to be separated from your identity, is to be to have your dignity and your soul, your, your story, your family heritage ripped away. Imagine someone coming in and buying your land cheap and just, you know, making it hard for you to remember who your family were. All the stories that you have, that you hold so dear, just ripped away from you. So this is the story of injustice and the promise of the treaty was not honored. And I want to say something about uh, the language as well. Um, next slide, please. I think I might have had another slide, if you can find it. It says something about the, land, the, the language. Um, so when, remember the missionaries came in with this posture of being a guest? Okay. So they were learning the Maori language. And then as, as more and more English speakers, Europeans came, the English became the dominant language. And at some points, in some, some places, you could even be punished for speaking Maori. See the power shift there? Now more recently, um, there's, there's actually an awakening of Maori culture and Maori language happening right now for the last 10 or 15 years in New Zealand, maybe even 20 or more. And I actually think God is involved in that. So I think God honors local culture. God honors indigenous peoples. Um, and so there's this movement, um, Maori language, so te reo Maori, that's the Maori language. And the word kaha is like strength, strong strength. Uh, so it's saying basically 
strengthen Māori language. Um, let's, let's allow Māori people to be themselves, to be Māori. And I think that's really important to, to respect people. It doesn't, it doesn't mean that everyone has to, must be forced to learn one another's languages, but it means that we can actually let people be themselves. You know, Acts, in Acts 17, when, when Paul's at, at Athens, he says God, you know, arranged the, the places and the times where people would be. God is for diversity. At Babel, God didn't want people to have one language reaching to the heavens. God sent them out to, to have different languages. And in the, the vision of, the, of the, the, the coming kingdom in Revelation is every tongue, tribe, and nation. It's diversity. It's not homogeneity. It's, it's diversity. And so as much as possible, doesn't, even if I don't learn the other person's language entirely, I can at least not get angry or annoyed when someone is speaking their language around me within my earshot. Um, that's some of the way that we can be, have a posture of a gift maybe. Not I'm a host, we all speak English here, get with the program, but more, okay, we're different. Maybe I could try to learn a few phrases so that I can say hello to you at least. And maybe, yeah, maybe they might learn some English as well. Um, that's probably all I'll say about that. Next slide, please. So I think Peter would encourage us at these three different levels. To, there are some convictions about the ways of living that are just Christian. They're never going to be popular. It's just righteousness, holiness, just biblical ethics. And I think the kingdom of God politically will never fit into any particular party. We have to do our best with democracy. We have to follow Jesus, whatever the political situation is. And at the public level, we have to just be as generous and kind as we can. Next slide. Humble allegiance to God's way. Discerning participation in human politics. And generous action for the well-being of our neighbors as much as possible. And so I close with this question. What might God be saying to your mind and heart? about just living in your context. It's pretty challenging, isn't it? But that's a good thing. That's where the transformation is. And I think God wants us to be transformed into the image of Jesus. I'd like to pray to close. Thank you, Father, for the gospel. Thank you for Peter and his courageous words to those early Christians so many years ago in such a different place. Thank you for the similarities that we can see with our context and the encouragement and the challenge that we can take from these words. Help us to just be humble and simple about the, the holiness that we're called to as Christians. Help us to live godly lives as your slaves, your servants, beautiful lives. Help us to not attach ourselves to any political or human system, but to always have allegiance to Jesus and his kingdom. And help us to, to lead, lead very generous lives, caring for our neighbor as we love ourselves. Make us known for this. Give us a different reputation. Not as people who are trying to take back power, but as people who are embracing the power of love 
followers of Jesus, being loved by God and loving our neighbor as we love ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen.